Yeah, we are we are now live. I love it, uh, Ryan. You know, I watch. You know, I, I love my my guys, uh, um, Dustin and Brad, that do their they do their uh, their show um, every Thursday night. And uh, Dustin, whenever he starts a live, he always starts off by going, "Is this live? Are we live?" Well, <laughs> I know he uses the same system that that I use, and it tells you you are live, so he knows he's live. Like, come on, Dustin. I know I know you know you're live, but of course he's. It's just his thing. He's just, uh, which is awesome. Love, love those guys. Um, how you doing? How you doing, Ryan? Doing great. How about yourself, Jeremy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining again. It's always great to have you. Um, you know, I like to refer to you as the car, as the sports cards live card show correspondent. Uh, but you bring much more to it than just being a card show correspondent. You got a lot going on. Um, but before we get into you and to, and what we're going to talk about, the card shows and the national experience and all that. Uh, did you did you manage to watch that last episode? I did. So I came in a little bit late, like probably 20, 30 minutes or so. Um, but I watched the rest of it throughout. Yeah. So what 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 were your takeaways? I see like a lot of people in the community aren't really huge fan of bringing in a lot of new technology with it. And I understand it because it's, it's like a kind of like a disruption side of things. Um, but I just say people need to give different companies a chance and see what they can prove out there. Um, I know it's completely different than different grading companies, but yeah. And like he said, it's not a grading company. It's, it's a different sort of concept, but I don't want to rehash all that right now. Um, that was, uh, that was a challenging episode to host with, uh, with a couple of, a couple of people in the chat who wanted to maybe make a name for themselves or something, but, uh, it was definitely, uh, entertaining i hope for those that did watch and for those people who are sort of open-minded and are just willing to maybe you know consider uh, a new idea and not just try to uh bash it before it before they even understand it uh kudos to those people and i think we did have our fair share of those in that last show um so and you mentioned you've seen the card score guys at uh various card show i mean you're at, you're at all the card show i won't say all of them but you go to a card show every weekend that is that is your goal right to be at what is it, 50 in the year? Was that your goal? Goals to do 52 this year, pretty much one for every weekend. There's some weekends I'm going to be traveling on my own vacations, so I can't hit up a show. So other weekends I'll do two or three in one day. <laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> That's So are you on track for 52 card shows in 2021? I'm, yeah, I'm actually on track to pass that. So right now I'm in Boston, and this is card show 39 for the year. Wow. Wow, good for you, man. What a, that that's the job that everybody wants. Just traveling <laughs> to card shows and having fun and uh doing deals. And now you're you travel to card shows for two reasons. One, because you're a collector, you like to wheel and deal, right? You're buying and selling trading cards pretty regularly, but you're also out there collecting content for your own YouTube channel, your new podcast, which we'll get to soon. Is that is that kind of how, how things yeah. are for you? Yeah, so the main thing is to get the card show to capture that, but also I want to capture the local scene. So whether it's different foods, different attractions that go over there, and I try to incorporate more than just a card show vlog. So one of the content creators I really liked, especially like growing up, was Casey Neistat. I'd watch a ton of his videos. So I try to add the Casey Neistat vlog with the card show vlog. And the card show vlog, I had a lot of different elements of like American Pickers. So if you want to watch my channel, it's a little bit of a mixture of watching Nightstat and American Pickers and throwing into a card show vlog. Yeah. All right, man. Well, appreciate it. Let's uh, let's let's go back to the chat. Pixburg, Anthony, great to have you. Good evening. Purple Haze, hello to you. Ink Paper Wax Collector, Nolan Ryan, Ryan Nolan, both legends in their fields. One with the K's, one with the vintage cards. Very fair. Tom Bullard here for the hobby. Stay for the community. Much love. 
Great to have you as always, Tom Bullard. Adventures with Troy. Good evening. Can't miss this live. Excited for always happy to have you, Troy. Thank you for joining us as always. Thank Big you. unit. Welcome back. Mike Wick. Yes, looking forward to this minus the negative chatter. My part two. Yeah. Me too, but I'm sure we'll have some carry over for that, Mike. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. Uh, Tony Hansen off the top ropes. What's up, brother? There we go. Anthony George, been needing my fix. I know you've said it many times. So what is the name of your other show, the new one? Anthony, it is called Collectible Live. You do have Collectible spelt right. YouTube.com slash Collectible app, A-P-P. That's, uh, that's the name of the channel. And uh, there are ver there's various other shows on their YouTube channel. But my the show that I'm doing on their channel is called Collectible Live. Sunday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Ink, paper, wax. Well rested. We'll admit I dozed off during the last one. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. I, you know, you, you can go back if you want and kind of pick out the good parts. When I wasn't uh, managing the chat or at least trying to dance around it, if you will. We are live. You know, we are live for sure. For sure. Junk wax. That was intense, Junk Wax. That certainly was. Thanks for, yeah, my pleasure, man. I, I you know, did what I could do there. But, uh, you know, it's never fun when you're trying to bring a guest to the audience and you want that guest to be able to explain what they're doing and you're peppered in the chat by uh, uninformed and uh, really just some some comment, some commenters who are really trying to th really throw someone off their game. And it was, it was, some of it was disrespectful to me as well. Like, you know, just just stay away. I just don't need you, really. Junk Wax Gems. I actually like the idea of using card score as a pre-grading tool, for sure. Steve Foley. Yeah, it was tough. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Tom, sports cards nonsense. Trying to make a name. That's what I said. Quinton Mortensen says, I like card score as a pregnating tool. <laughs> Back to grading Tom Brady's wife, I guess. <laughs> five ball. Yeah, yeah well, you, you missed something. I'll tell you that, foul, foul, five ball. You missed something. Michael Ham, the machine is on. What's up, Ryan? Michael. There you go. Ham's a great guy, as always. 100%. Lucky K wants to know, Ryan, do you set up a table at any of the shows? I have not, but Steven, who also is on the channel, is going to be start tabling. And I think we're looking at October, November range for that. So that way in the vlogs, you get the experience of both as a buyer walking around, seeing what's happening there. And then you also get the perspective of what goes on at the seller's table. Fair enough. Rock Latex. Thank you, Rock. John is a political heavyweight. Answered some questions as such. Yeah, he's he's used to negative comments. Hardcorn. Yeah, well, Hardcorn, you're also the one who has a clubhouse room going on right now that says Hardcorn. Hardcorn. What does it say? It's a Hardcorn. Oh, card score gets roasted by Hardcorn Live. So. Try yeah, that's that's good, Rich. Make a name for yourself on on my show now. Appreciate the disrespect, buddy. But uh, hey, I guess that's what you get, right? That's what you get. Kyle Brown, Ryan is the hardest working guy in the hobby. I've really been enjoying the Moneyball podcast he's been putting out. We're gonna get to those. We're gonna get to those for sure. Rage, great to have you as always, Dave Kaplan. Thank you for joining. Overtime grading, great to have you. This should be more relaxed. I think you're right. Uh, there's Jordan just took a nap to be awake for this. Good. Good on you. Yeah, this this will be more. This will be a little bit uh, less controversial. Let's say, let's say Lee. Great to have you. Thanks for joining Mosaic. Yeah, I agree. Ryan, your name is the best name in the hobby for sure. It's funny. Someone someone saw me, you know, on my YouTube thumbnail said Ryan Nolan. They were 
his oh it was Sean Chalk. He's a big Gretzky collector. Said his heart skipped a beat thinking <laughs> I had Nolan Ryan coming on the show. Yeah, not yet, not yet. One day you'll get it. We got, I got to meet Nolan Ryan still, too. So that'd be kind of fun. You should. You're named after him. Terry Fortune loves your content. That's awesome. Terry. Spurs car. Yeah, I can't believe you're already at 39 shows. That is pretty An crazy. Adventure. That is pretty crazy. Ryan's knowledge is much more than his years because he's a study. He's a student of the hobby, for sure, for sure. Facebook user, thank you and welcome to the show. Fire Sports Card says, hi, it was nice to meet Ryan at the Collector's Con in Tampa. He came briefly over to my table. Oh, man. Tom Bullard, there are two gentlemen I'm happy to listen and learn from when speaking on their passions whenever possible. That's one thing you'll get here, Tom. Is a, well, I mean, I know Ryan's passionate and, uh, you know, sports cards have been my life. So what, what else can, you, can be said? Alf, thank you for joining. Loving Saturday nights with you guys. What's everyone's most anticipated new release? Let's hear what the comments say. Let's see what the comments say. Yeah, who, in call, who invited all the pigeons to the stream earlier? You know what? When you're on an open forum, hockey guy, that's what happens, right? Brad says, you always do a great job interviewing, always informative, learn stuff. Thanks, man. That you know, But hey, some, some of them are more challenging than others, that's for sure. Did Ryan make it to Vegas for the summit? I thought he was, Ryan, I thought you were there tonight. And I even posted that Ryan will be joining us from the industry summit, but no, you're not there. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I try my best, guys, to go to the industry summit. I have work Monday morning at 8 a.m. and there's no flights that would be able to make me get back in time. And plus every flight over to Vegas when I was trying to book was $500 plus. So adding $500 plus hotel costs, I just don't have that type of money to spend on a card show. No. Pardcorn says it's a private room. How is that making a name? Oh, well, I mean, you, you made you tried to make the name on my show, Pardcorn. And then the private room with, with the, I mean, those private rooms still get to 20 people. So uh, it's still a lot of people that can see you trying to brag about it, which, you know, is a little bit ridiculous. But if, if, if that's your approach, uh, Rich, then that's your approach. Uh, Rage says, it was a pleasure to meet Ryan today in Boston and have him see some of my collection. There you go. Very nice. You got to meet Rage? Yeah, I did. He had a bunch of different cards, especially his Marvel stuff. I know you're a big fan of Metal Universe. And he brought up some of the Marvel cards, which I, I know you're expert. Was it like two or three years before that they produced those? And then uh, they built all the different different sets, right? Right. Are, are you Sorry, are you talking about are you talking about the new Skybox Metal Universe that just came out for hockey? No, in the 90s. Didn't Marvel oh. like that build out the metal cards beforehand? Yeah, I, th I think... Yeah, the the designer Gene McLeod from Arena Design came on with me just la just a couple of weeks ago and talked about it. I think I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, Todd McDonald says, uh, "Love the Maiden shirt." So here here's the funny thing. Earlier on in the episode, someone said Iron Maiden, and I didn't get it. Okay, and the reason is because when I'm doing this show, my camera is sitting right under your chin, so I can't see your shirt right now. My camera's blocking it. But now that Todd says the Iron Maiden shirt, now, now I'm putting two and two together and I get why the earlier comment was made. Albert Jones wants to know, where can I follow Ryan? And um, that's my bad. I don't have a banner ready for you, Ryan. Um, you are at Breakout Cards, right? On Instagram? Yeah, so I have Breakout Cards on Instagram, Twitter. I have a underscore at the very end of it and also have a YouTube channel, Breakout Cards. YouTube. I'll, let me just do a quick banner up for you. YouTube is breakout cards. That's two words. Yep. All right. Let's get that up there on the ticker for you. Sorry, I didn't get that done earlier. There we go, guys. That's how you can fi follow 
uh, Ryan on Instagram and on YouTube. Purple Haze, great to have you. Willie T, thanks for joining. We'll have to watch. Yeah, check out the earlier show later. It's it's an entertaining one. I promise you that. Uh, I did get some Metal Universe. I, I I so so yeah. Skybox Metal Universe Hockey Ryan just came out like two days ago, and uh, I've bought two cards on eBay so far. I've got a that's a sealed inner case right there, eight box sealed inner. I'm not going to open that yet, and I have four loose boxes coming this week, which I will be opening. So looking forward to that. Tom Bullard says, "Don't buy new sealed." Because of prices, so not much anticipating football. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Mike says not to be confused with card porn. That's true. Card porn and pard corn are, are two completely different accounts. Pard corn is sort of a parody account on um, on card porn and is often very funny, actually. Often very funny. You get more honey with flies. There you go, Tom. There you go. Collectors League wants to know, Ryan, are you a fan of Card Score? I don't know Card Score had fans. They have customers, but Collectors League wants to know, are you, are you a fan? Do you like what Card Score is doing? Yeah, I mean, I got one of my cards graded by Card Score. Or not graded, but uh, what they're Yeah, where is it at? I had to, oh, right over here. So I got this Brady. And the reason why is like there's so many differences between like a, two grades of a PSA 6 or a PSA 7 based on eye appeal. So I look at it as this gives collectors that do an eye appeal test on it, and then you can change the value of a card. So I got this Brady done by it at the National. So is- you you had that card, and then you gave it to Card Score at the National to get it scored? Yeah, so I just used one of their kiosks there, scanned it, and then uh, it ended up le- sending me a letter with the, the sticker on the back. I just pasted it right on there. All done. Cool. So what was the original grade? It was a PSA 6, and you can take a look at the card over here. I know it's kind of hard to tell. It has some edge issues going across, but I thought it looked really strong for a 6. So I was kind of curious what other people thought, and I got a card score of a 72. Nice, nice. We got some camera work going on in the background. I love this. He's always always making his content. That's all good. That's all good. So it's always fun. (laughs) I love it. Well, you did that before. I thought the first time you came on with me, that was pretty awesome because then I'm watching your content and I can see your whole setup, which is pretty fun to see. Troy has a question. Any idea, Ryan, when the book might be ready for release? Why don't you talk about the book? Yeah. So I've been working on a book called Spotting Fakes for probably like last eight or nine months. And what it's about is I go over the top 50 fake cards so between different card shows, between different marketplaces, between Facebook groups, I see a lot of the same exact cards that are getting posted online. People are like, is this real or fake? I just got this at a state sale, or I'm not sure if this card is real or not on eBay, or I saw this lab, it looks questionable. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? So I noticed there's a lot of concerns in the hobby about that and at card shows. And I decided it was good to start building out a YouTube series. So I started building out different videos almost every Friday, showing people how to spot a fake card. And from there, I was like, all right, since I'm already building the YouTube videos, I'm going to make a book out of that content. So I've been writing the book. It's about 150 pages right now as the top 50 fake cards, all from baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and soccer. On top of it, I go over different alterations. I go over different printing patterns and so much more about it. So I'm hoping it gets out by October. I don't want to push it back any farther. I tried getting out during summer, but as I keep diving deeper into fake cards you just keep learning more and more and more 
and an account obviously like card porn posts a lot on their Instagram about it. And you learn from different sources like that. You learn from blowout, you learn from different blogs and forum posts that people post online. So I'm compiling all that types of information, throwing it into a book and adding more research on top of it. And I'm hoping it's October-ish. All right, there you go. Well, good luck with that. That'll be really cool. Really cool. Mickey, appreciate the uh, the comment. Great to have you. Lucky cases, Ryan, you obviously make money off of content. During your travels, are you able to make more money buying and selling versus the revenue from content? So that's actually a lie. I don't really make much money off of content. So right now, most of my vlogs get probably between two and 5,000 views. My best one's like 13,000 for a Dallas card show. And YouTube pays about $8 for a thousand views. So if you look at the monetization standpoint from that, I'm making like $15, making $15 to travel. I'm using all of my work money to throw back into build this YouTube channel and brand to kind of show people across the country what the card show scene is and try to build up a PC along the way. Um, so we also say, do I make some money buying and selling? Yes. Yeah, so I do flip modern cards to buy into vintage cards. So I go in there, I try to find modern plays or different modern cards that I think are undervalued and will go up over time. And I'll leverage those cards to trade. So in last week's at Collector's Con, I ended up trading up for a Roy Campanella rookie that was a CSG7. And that's going to stay in my PC forever. There you go. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's the way to do it, right? I mean, if you have an angle to build your collection, Ryan, I started set, I started setting up at card shows in 2005. And the reason was, was is exactly that. When you're, when you're on the other side of the table, you have access to more cards. You can buy cards for the vendor discount from the people walking around. And then you can use them to... Basically, when you're buying and selling cards, the way I look at it for myself is it's really just a bunch of three-way trades, right? Like, just because I'm trading with... I'm trading... I'll, I'll, I'll trade a card. I'll sell a card to you for money. And then I'll take that card and buy a card from somebody else. In essence, for me, from my perspective, it's like a three-way trade. And hopefully I'm building and growing my collection over time, which is what I've done for the past, you know, formally 15, 16 years, but even informally since like the late eighties. So it's, it's a great strategy. Do you enjoy doing that? Yeah, I definitely enjoy going around and doing all that. I let's say I want to have Steven at the tables. So that way I can get cards coming in and then going around and seeing what the different dealers have. And that way you have the opportunities from cards coming in, going out and then add on to the vlogs. Yeah, you'll you'll find that uh, it'll open up a whole new world once you have a a, a booth and you, as you call it, tabling or being a vendor. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it Wait. it adds a whole new dimension to being at a card show for sure, for sure. Uh, love what you collect. Says enjoy both your content. Thank you very much, Ryan. Yep. Will you be at the next Philly show? Hundred percent confirmed. Hotel and flight booked. Awesome. JJ Bama says card score had all their employees and family members on the stream earlier. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> I get it. You're being tongue in cheek, JJ Bama, but uh, yeah, I think there were probably a couple of employees on, on the show, which I mean, who wouldn't, right. If you're launched, if you got a new company and you got, and you're working for it, why wouldn't you be, uh, why wouldn't you want to watch? Makes sense to me. Tom says, honestly, I usually see people acquainted with whoever is being interviewed. Well, yeah, it's, it's just common sense. I mean, it's just common sense, uh, Tom. So at least, at least, yeah, I'm glad you understand. Rock Latex, did Ryan just say he didn't budget for Vegas? That's what the blackjack and craps tables are for. Not not trying that. <laughs> we want to know, where are you tonight? Looks like you're in a hotel room. So tell us where you're at. Tell us how your day was at the card show. 
Yeah, so I went to Boston today. So uh, Bowman 1951 uh, found out about I can go to Vegas because of fun. So he was like, yo, I'll get you a hotel room, fly up to Boston and head out to my show and vlog it. So literally within like two weeks, I was like, all right, let's do it. Found cheap flight. It was like $70, $80. Flew up here, uh, vlogged the card show this morning and then explored Boston. And I got to say the food in Boston, it was really good. Nice. I saw you. I saw earlier on Instagram, you were about to do a pizza review. How was the pizza? It, it was phenomenal, man. Like, as good as Chicago? You got to get pizza up here. Yeah. I love I love a New York pizza. I like a greasy, thin crust pizza. That's you, my need to, you, need to, you need to try Regina's over here. You'd be in heaven. I should. I see it. I can do deep dish too. I'll enjoy it. But deep dish, it's like one slice, maybe two, and that's it, right? There's no more, there's no room for any more after that. So it's a totally different experience. I yeah. feel like that since there's two different types of pizzas, one's more of like a lasagna style, one's more of like your traditional style. Exactly. They're both really yeah, one, one's more like a quiche. <laughs> <laughs> Skeppy says that live with card score was rough. I say we crack open someone. <laughs> The Wendy spicy chicken Pringles. Yeah, I had them. I must have just finished that tin last night, but uh, welcome back as always. Tom says, to break out, are you considering eventually branching into TCG fakes or just staying in sports related? You know, I haven't book? decided yet, to be quite honest with you, just because the book isn't out and I haven't decided what I'm going to do if I make a second version of the book where I add on um, another 50 cards or I continue to update that with other fakes that are flooding the market. I mean, just last week I found out some more 86 Jordan fakes. Uh, someone sent me over that looked really good under the loop and color wise. And I made a video where I talked about 23 different ways to spot the fake Jordan. There's only like one small difference. Um, they ended up doing a blue light test on it, which you do mostly with vintage cards and it illuminated showing that the Jordan was fake versus a non uh, 86 fake where it didn't. So, uh, I didn't even realize that you could do that test on the 86 Jordan as well, but that was the only way you could really tell just looking online. Obviously, I didn't see it in person that that card was fake. All right. Very cool. John Quack says your commitment is really appreciated. Thanks thank on behalf of both of us, Ryan, because I don't know who it's directed to, but we'll, we'll both say thank you, I guess, for sure. <laughs> Can't Stop Cards in the house. Good evening, fellas. Great to have you guys. Great podcast on Can't Stop Cards. Absolutely. Ink paper wax collector hurts my feelings. Just kidding. That's why Ryan is the best content creator on YouTube. Sorry, JL, you're number two on my list. I'm just happy to be on the list. Okay. So I'm that's honored. all good. And Ryan is deserved of number one on your list. Mike Wick says, does Ryan plan on going to Dallas show at the end of October? Yep. So my October shows, I haven't booked anything yet, but I'm planning on going to the Virginia Chantilly show end of October. And then the week after is the Dallas show. So I'm going to do a back-to-back. I'm still thinking I have to figure out logistics. There's apparently a big vintage show in Missouri, uh, like 300, 400 tables. So I'm figuring out if I can end up working on doing that show. Uh, but those are the other two shows that I'm going to. Right on. Adventures with Troy says, love Steven in the vlogs, Mr. Excitement. Yes. <laughs> there he is. How we doing? What's up? What's up? What's up, Steve? Feel free to jump in if you want, but you know, I don't want to take the limelight away from uh, from our guy Ryan Nolan here. No doubt. I do want to say actually one thing going back to how we're talking a little bit about TCG cards. You wouldn't believe how many fakes are available and how many people don't know. I just want to go over a little story today. Like I was going through cards 
and I see this really strange hollow, hollow pattern where I wish I could show you guys exactly what it looked like, but it just looks so off to me. And I look to the back of the card and you can see a lot of them. There are some variances within like vintage and newer Pokemon, but the back, it looks so photocopied. And I was like, holy cow, this really looks fake. And I see other cards with a specific curvature that also is fake. And then one card with 7,000 HP, which if you play Pokemon, that doesn't exist. That's like, I think they only go up around 500. So that was pretty ridiculous there. Well, good to get the, good to get the word out on that. For sure. Spread, right? Because you don't want people buying that uh, by accident. Let's keep moving through here. Darcy says, good show. Remind me to get your autograph. Like your t-shirt, guest Iron Maiden rocks. There you go. Right. Another another vote for the shirt. Another one for the shirt here to vote. I'm sporting my Fleer Metal Universe, Skybox Metal Universe hockey uh, shirt. This is the and that's like the original, uh, basically the original logo that they used back in the in the 90s as well. Rage says we have the best pizza in the world. Period. All right, good to know. Good to know. I'm good telling to you, know. Jerry, you gotta try it. It's it's that good, man. Daniel Busby says, at the end of the day, Jeremy is trying to bring us the best content on YouTube. Show some respect for that, if nothing else. Hey, thanks, Daniel Busby. Big Harv, finally getting to watch it live. So, Big Harv, great. To, I love when we get a new person who either watches YouTube in reruns or listens to the podcast. Great to have a new uh, a first-time live viewer. Big Harv, welcome. Tom Bullard says... Brago cards have to come to Niagara Falls. Buffalo can hit up Dave and Adams. Have you ever been to Dave and Adams? I have not. Junk Wax is Detroit style's most underrated pizza. Daniel A, welcome to the show. Steve Foley, Ryan, let them know when you're going to South Florida. We have room for you. Hey, there you go. That'll help the budget. I'm always down in South Florida. There you go. North End is where the real Sopranos dwell. The movie Departed was half based on that area. Talking about pizza in Boston, Triple V says, Ryan, what are some of your favorite pre-war finds? Yeah, so well, some of my favorite cards in my collection are some of my T205s, like, for example, over here. I only brought one of them out, but I ended up trading for this at the last Dallas card show. So this is a Cy Young T205. Absolutely love it. One of my favorite sets from pre-war, though, and I don't have it on me since it's locked away, is old judge cards i have a john clarkson from there really really cool another classic set is the 33 galities now they're really really great but what i like even better is the sporting kings because you get every single sport i mean jeremy you probably have a few of those hockey players and that's loaded with that i mean you have eddie shore you have ace in there you have um god what's the other guy's name the one that died really early howie moran friends yep I still want to get one of those in my PC, but you have hockey in there. You have baseball in there. You have a few like cycling, cycling. you have everything, boxing, you even have billiards too. Yeah. So you have the Jack Dempsey in there. You also have um, the, the heavyweight fighter. I'm drawing blank right now, but I picked it up at the national as a seven, but it has everything. And it's so cool because especially like I collect multiple sports. Baseball is my main PC. But I also like collecting a lot of boxing cards, a lot of cricket cards, and also I have some hockey, football. But just that set has pretty much everything, minus cricket, of course. And I really like it. Yeah, I agree with you, man. This the the score the, what, sorry, what's it called? They're not scoring kings. Uh, Sporting. Sport kings, sport kings. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool set. I do have the Howie Morenza. It's a it's a, I have a it's a PSA four. It's like perfect, but the surface is really worn. But it actually gives it a kind of a cool look, and I'm I usually am you know surface is number one for me as far as any of the 
any of the great, any of the subgrades, if you will, to me, surface is number one, then centering, and then I go to corners and edges. But, um, but this is, I made an exception for this one card. Plus, I traded for it at a card show. I traded away, like you like to do, I traded away modern cards for the vintage card. So, couldn't say go. no to that. Couldn't say no to that deal. Much fun, man. Yeah, so much it is, right? Decoy card says, thanks for the discussion. Card score could be nice for sellers, buyers that want generalized raw values, would be a middle ground between raw and waiting or paying for grading. Thoughts. I think that's that's a, a way of looking at it, you know. I think that that's it's definitely a way of looking at it. I think the the key thing for card score that and and you know, John said it well, the hobby and a lot of the people that were in the chat on the previous episode are looking at them through the lens of the grading world, the professional grading world. And they're not, he said, they're not professional graders. That's not what they're trying to be, but it seems like people think they are. So just the way it is, some people, you know, selective hearing, a lot of, many people have it. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure I do too. Everybody does, but um, it's just, it's just, but I think, I think the way you say it, decoy does make some sense, you know? So Lots of ways to look at it, but kind of be nice to get past that. I'm sure we'll come back to it again still. Rage says, I told Ryan today you and Jeremy are a must watch for me. Well, Rage, you know, you're always here. Love, love having you in the, in the chat. Thank you so much. Collectors League says, see you in Dallas, Ryan. Good night to you. Hopefully we have another uh, content creators dinner. That was so much fun. Bobble said, glad that info helped Ryan and Chantilly has a lot of awesome vintage vendors. I think you'd like Chantilly. Have you been to that one? I have not. Yeah, I've heard good things about that as well. Hockey guy says there were fake Pokemon cards way back when the Gen 1 cards were new. So Tom Bullard, so many fakes in Pokemon. Some bootlegs are valuable. I hear of, of I hear of first gen. So first gen bootlegs are now valuable. That's so weird to me. Here's a question from Skeppy. He says, at what point do you take your knowledge of spotting fakes and keep that info to yourself? to not educate the people creating the fakes. Ooh, it's like, yeah. I mean, that's the hard part, but there's so many different people getting scammed out there. And at the end of the day, I think having people more informed, at least like knowing different ways to be able to spot a fake is the best way. I mean, I give pretty much actionable tips to look at any card from any specific year to know if it's fake or not, or if it's altered. So if it helps educate someone, helps them stop from buying a fake card, it helps it out. Yeah. But I, I do I do hear the concern and, you know, you kind of think about it like even what's that show where about crossing the border all the time? I was watching, I was, you know, used to watch that a lot. And it's like you can, you know, wh wh when the professionals tell you all the secrets, it might help you to know how to uh, avoid things. Even I saw a show called I think it was called Heist on, on Netflix the other day. And the one guy and the one episode was talking about how all he did was watch all the TV shows to learn what the what the law enforcement what law enforcement does to catch people and he planned his crime based on all those little hints and tips which so it's it, it this question the skeppy poses is to the same kind of tune right like do you want more like and i'm not obviously what you're doing is a service ryan but i get that other side of it you know what i mean I completely understand i think there's also a movie like the dark knight or something like that or one of the batman movies is talking about it too yeah. Mike Wick says, I'm always looking for shows to attend. I, I checked Beckett and a few other sites, but is there a site that lists all the shows, including small venues, not just the big shows? So well, what do you use for that? 
I have my own site where it has everything listed. I don't have the specific dates on it because shows are, especially during COVID, they were canceling, changing dates. So I just have a full on directory of all the different card shows down there. And I'm always adding. So if you have a card show and you're watching this and it's not on my site, email me and I'll get it up within a week or so. But I try to have like a full on list, like hundreds of card shows. Right on. Darcy says, let's see some cards. You have some to show, but a little bit later on, because we want to get through the, the, the discussion here. You do show hey, show hey. one card. Show one. Show us one card. All right, I'll show an, I'll show another card. So, I'll show you what I picked up today. So, these are my PC cards that I got. I didn't pick up any big vintage cards. It was a smaller show, and I had like three and a half hours. But I love picking up jersey cards of old school Hall of Famers because number one, they're game used, and I'm a huge proponent of game used jerseys and patches. And number two, I mean, there's so limited amount of jersey cards out there in comparison to other cards as well. And jerseys and bats just keep going more and more expensive. We see all these like apps like Collectible that are going out there and doing IPOs of like a Babe Ruth jersey or Jackie Robinson jersey or some other bat, and they're going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yet you can find jersey cards of Hall of Famers in the past. Like, for example, a Frank Robinson here. I picked up this patch for pretty much $10. Someone who hit over 500 home runs, almost 3,000 hits, MVP in both leagues, First black manager, rookie of the year, I believe, as well. And a $10 for a patch card. I picked up a Hank Greenberg, one of the best Jewish baseball players, played in the 1930s, has a great 1934 Gaudi that I'm still chasing. I'll get eventually. And I picked up a Warren Spawn, probably your best left-handed pitcher. So I picked how up how much was the Warren? Was it like 10 bucks the Warren Spawn? Was it really cheap? I picked up all these for ten dollars each. <laughs> so yeah. like and I mean, that's the going around eBay between $10, $15 for these type of cards. And you look at how expensive some of these jerseys are going for at auctions. Sure, they're fully intact. They're not cut up. But still, I mean, you get a piece of history. So I like picking these up when I get the chance. Other stuff I picked up. I mean, I picked up some modern stuff. I actually picked up some hockey, surprisingly. I'll show Let's you. Oh, I like it. I know you just retired. I'm pretty oh, Lundquist sure. Ricky. Yeah. Yep. Nice bargain box find there. There you go. Number to 199. Dreisel. I think that's a good Yeah. Yeah. That's Connor McDavid's kind of best line mate. Yep. And then today, really good trade bait right here. Found this. It was a really good bargain. Uh, one Soto 2018, number to 125. Ended up paying $120 for it. I feel like, I mean, the cost of grading right now is $150. You're getting yeah. a Soto from his rookie year, number to 125. I feel like that's pretty easy. And then, I mean, just some other cards, not much. Yeah, good stuff, man. No, it's nice to see some cards for sure. Sean Robb says, what cities have the most vibrant card show scene? His votes go to Toronto and Dallas. I mean, Toronto definitely would be up there. What, what, you've been to lots of cities now. Where do you find the, the best card show energy to be? Yeah, so I'd say Dallas because of all the different trade nights. It's absolutely insane there. I think, I mean, I'm going to be a little biased because I'm from here, but I think in the Tampa Bay region, it's really, really good because we have two local shows, which are about hundred tables each. We have the Tampa card show. We have the Bay area show. The Bay area is like 150. Even a lot of people fly in for that show. A lot of YouTubers and film there as well. And then also we just had collectors con last week, which was 400 tables at the Tampa Bay convention center where they hold comic con. And there's two trade nights for it. There's one on a cruise ship. Yacht is going around for dinner and trade night. Really cool, but super expensive. 
And then there was one at the Tampa card shop and Tampa card shop had like hundred plus people at apartment complex. We were all trading, willing and dealing. And I mean, I got the Campanelle from it. It was a lot of fun, but I, Dallas- saw, I saw you showed the Campanelle. I, I own a copy of that card too. It's an amazing card. I, I love mine. So I, I saw it. I was like, out of boy, Ryan, that's a, was, that's a good one. I, I was so happy. Like, uh, Matt and all of them were in the, uh, the trade night. They were like, dude, I've never seen you smiling like that after a trade. I was like, I've been looking for that card in a high grade for such a while. And everyone holds on to those cards. It's not like modern cards where even like a low number card, people are always flipping it and you have access to that card. When you get into high grade vintage cards, especially older 30s, 40s, or way older than that, people try to tend to keep the rare backs or high grades because you're not going to find them at a show. I mean, even walking around, how many T206 cards do you find of Hall of Famers at a show nowadays? You really don't because it's in the hand of a collector, not someone who's just trying to flip cards. Yeah, yeah, good point. Even even 15 years ago at the National, you'd see a lot more of those than you do now. You know, you still see some, but not like not like it was. I think a lot of those have been scooped up and uh, they're being they're being held onto pretty tight. Decoy card says the more knowledge that's out there, the less wiggle room the scammers have, the more they have to do the scam, the less they'll want to do it. The more they have to do to do the scam, the less they'll want to do it. That makes sense. So good, good counterpoint to the counterpoint. Very awesome. Uh, yeah. Your Ryan's is your list of shows on your Instagram. No, it's on my website. So breakoutsportscards.com, And then on the banner at the top, they'll have a card show list. Darcy uh, likes your pickups, says they're smart. Troy says Jeremy needs to show a card also, please. Did you I've, have got, I've got a little stack that I picked up at a card show a couple of weeks ago. I can show you some. I might have shown them too. I showed some of these when Gene McLeod was on from Arena Designs, but I picked up this cool Michael Jordan insert. The, this blue foil is like just where around the top 10 is really awesome. Hmm. Like it's tough to see in the camera, but that that that's a nice foil around the where it says top ten. Picked up this uh, double trouble MJ foil double trouble Fleer Ultra. This is awesome. I mean, this is just a beautiful card. It's a base card, but like what a what a gorgeous base card. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I bought that, it in a big in a stack. What's that? Is that Finest or Stadium Club? Stadium Club. Stadium Club. I can't, I'm not sure what year, but uh, tops like 94 or something like that, maybe 93. But um, I bought this in a stack. And when I came home and kind of like allocated out the money I paid to all the cards, I think I put zero on that one. <laughs> Those I'll are the best sometimes. I'll take it. This is awesome. This is the uh, Scoring Kings, Patrick Ewing. And I, I'm not a Patrick Ewing fan, but I'm a scoring, I'm, I'm a fan of this card. And I knew that Gene had designed it. So I wanted to own it, and uh, it's just such a nice. I just love the the pop art act aspect of it, and the uh, the colors, really cool looking card. Picked up uh, Emerald Surge, Patrick Marlowe out of ten. This is from 2017 Opeachy Platinum. This is kind of like the the prism of hockey. Couple of uh, precious metal gems. There's an Eric Carlson from the Ottawa Senators. This is a big card I got. For my for my personal collection, uh, yeah, this is the '96 Upper Deck Game jersey. So the first year they did Mem, and it's the last card I needed for the 13 card set was this Jagger, and I found this locally in a very lucky sort of find. That's a couple more. Like, look at this Joe Montana card. 
It's called uh, Touchdown King. And Jean designed this card, and she was telling me that this little – see this little guy right here? Can't 100% tell. It's a really small my screen. So that's that's a little football player kind of on a rush. And yep. that's that little logo was designed specifically for this insert set. Back then, they used to design logos for each insert set. They stopped doing that. Here's a really nice uh, Dan, uh, John Elway, Z-Team. This Just some cool foil cards. Shaquille O'Neal, Tower of Power. Here's a Atomic Refractor Shaq from uh, Retro. Bo, uh, Bowman's Best Retro. It's a cool card. There's so much to learn about the 90s. Like, I really haven't put my time into it besides Tiffany cards in the early 90s. And obviously, there's all these inserts. So, And I Maybe. saw you making a comment recently about Tiffany's or where it's at from the, from the, uh, really yeah. from the 80s. And, and, and I agree. Like Tiffany, the Tiffany, they're kind of a parallel, but they were their own, their, their own factory set. So it, I think I consider it a parallel, but um, they are. I'm with you, man. Tiffany cards are special. It makes no sense. Like I was, I was looking at the Larry Walker deep diving into it, and I was comparing a Tiffany nine, whether it's from Topps or Bowman, to the Leaf PSA ten. And I know people are like, "Oh, a ten compared to a nine. But looking at the pop reports, they were very similar uh, in the nine numbers compared to the ten of Leaf, just because that set was so overproduced back then. You could buy a nine Bowman Larry Walker for under twenty five dollars from a Tiffany, right? I don't remember the print run on the Bowman's, whether it was 3000 or 5000 but the point is it's super, super low. The Tops was going for about $50, yet the Leaf rookie card was $120. Why is that? When this card is plentifully available, it's known as a junk wax brand, yet you can find something that's pretty much serial numbered in the 90s, and you're paying one-sixth the price or half the value. A lot of things in the card scene right now make no sense. Well, the, you're you're onto something big there, and I mean it's it's not really a new concept, but it is like in hockey, for example, young guns are what people seem to want, even though they are mass produced, and you can get a you can get a a rookie year or even a rookie card of the same player that's out of say 500 or 700, and it's going to go for less than the young gun, which is out of what 25, 50, 100, 500 thousand. We just don't know, yep. but it's it's just it's branding, it's brand equity, and it's ease of access and all these things right but i think over time what's going to be what over time the value will be in the rare in the rarer cards that have nice eye appeal like in terms of design so i, I think you're I, onto it oh sorry i got a question for you then so obviously you're talking about opichi platinum being the prism of hockey cards and i agree with that but why are platinum cards so so cheap compared to the young guns you think the same philosophy applies because i mean even going back like two, three years ago when like Quinn Hughes was out there and Kel McCarr, I was picking up some of these cards for a dollar, two dollars each, yet their young guns were going between fifty and a hundred dollars. You're talking about a fifty X multiplier. I think part of it is that well, so young guns are are sort of short printed, even though they're readily available. You get like four in a box or six in a box, whatever it is. I don't think the Opichi Platinum rookies are short printed. I think they're the base cards are the base cards, like they're the same sort of print run. I could be wrong on that for just but I'm just talking about the, the simple base card. And then I think it just comes, again, it just comes down to branding. Young Guns. Young Guns have been around since 1990 in hockey. That's what people want. But as pop, you know, as graded pops get up there, as print runs become better understood, I think you're going to find that the rarer card is the better value. 
just it. And Young Guns are also very nice. They, you know, Upper Deck's base set has great photography. They, you know, they they curate those images pretty carefully. So it's it's a tough one to answer. It's I think it just really comes down to what people are used to, and again, brand equity. And Young Guns has a lot of brand equity. So two more cards I want to show. I know Darcy will like these ones. This is a uh, this is a Sidney Crosby 2016 Flare Showcase. It's a blue ice. This is out of 100, or sorry, it's out of 99. So pretty cool. Numbered out of 99 on the back there. And then lastly, even the basketball guys will appreciate this. 1314 Panini Prism, Sidney Crosby out of 50. Oh, those are cool. Yeah, it's got a cool die cut to it, like a, almost like a Z. Yep. I have a Machado of those rookie year as well. That's the stack that uh, that I have kind of within uh, arm's reach right now. So there we go. There's some cards, guys. Hope that was somewhat enjoyable. Troy liked your pickups. Ryan says, way to go. Way to go on the pickups. Oh, way behind on the comments now. Oh, way behind on the comments. Oh, man. While I'm scanning for the next comment, Ryan, tell us about the... Na- I know the Nationals already like five, six weeks behind us, but... You haven't been on Sports Cards Live yet talking about your national experience. It was your first national, right? No, this was my second one. Second one. Okay, so good. That that allowed an extra dimension. Number one, tell us how much you how it was, but how much different was it from 2019 if that was your first one? Yeah, so 2019, I went to the national and this is my first time. I wasn't building any content or anything like that. And my whole philosophy of buying cards was different as well back then. So what I used to do at card shows is I would literally just go through quarter bins, dollar bins, looking for $5 cards and throwing them off to the side all the time and using that stuff kind of like to trade up or just throw into the collection and say, okay, I think this card is going to go up for a while. Like I picked up a ton of Devers cards back then. I picked up Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, those type of players where I think for a quarter or 50 cents, you're doing nothing wrong. And I that's how I pretty much spent my whole national that time. Picked up a few, maybe 10 or $20 cards and walked around. I treated it though as a museum because I didn't know the next time I'd be back. Um, so before I even did that stuff, I'd go around and look for some of these really old pre-war cards and just appreciate them because I don't know if I'm ever going to see these things again. Uh, the cool thing about the national is you get all these auction houses here and they want to show off the best cards of the best. So like even this year, I think it was heritage that had all the Ty Cobb different backs. Then they also had a, a Joe Jackson there which I think the pop on that's like a 10, eight, a SGC, three of it. Obviously the Hannes Wagner was there, which is absolutely amazing. Tons of mantles there that were high grade and you could just walk around it. You could treat it as a museum itself. Like if anyone ever wanted to create like a sports card hall of fame museum, the national could be it just walking around the show floor. So I did that in 2019 before I ended up going and looking through all the different bins. And then I concluded that I didn't go to any of the after parties. I didn't go to any of the trade nights and didn't associate with any of that. I called a day and left. This year, completely different because now I have to focus on building out the content. I have to focus on finding pickups at the show and I have to focus on doing all the different after parties. And man, that was probably the busiest 48 hours I've had in cards because it was nonstop with it. I it, literally, as soon as I went in the doors, interview, 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 going around, trying to find pickups. There's I felt like there's a lot more tables this year than 2019. Obviously, it's been two years or so since I've gone, but I felt like they added a little more. I think they added an extra room this year. Not 100%. They did. Okay, they, they did. did. That's what I thought. Uh, it, dude, it was so hectic this year. The traffic, 
obviously uptick as well. I was talking to a lot of dealers and they're like, I've never seen it like this. And I believe the national said this was the second highest attended one. But what really impressed me though, was the trade nights, especially one that uh, car collector two did with sports car investor and uh, the Kentucky Roadshow. I have never seen that many collectors in one spot, just trading. I mean, it was a madhouse in the lobby. You walked around it. It felt like you're at a concert floor waiting for a band to go up there and play it. Like you could barely walk around. And then when you go inside the floor, I mean, the entire space is filled up. There's people on the ground trading. Every single table was full of people all around it trying to will and deal. And it was crazy. It's honestly one of the best experiences ever. Like it was awesome. You can miss the national and just go to the trade night. And you could say you had a a great time. So I did that trade night right after that was the Blake Jameson trade night. So got to meet a lot of the artists that make uh, project 70, which was really cool to meet them in person. They showed off personal art besides just doing the cards themselves. A lot of content creators were there too. So got to meet a lot of people as well. And then uh, day two just went through and started looking for pickups. Luckily I found a lot of boxing that I wanted. Sometimes it's tough to find boxing pre-war on eBay, especially like some of the strip cards. I lucked out and I found two strip cards that were graded eight and a half by a dealer, picked those up. I also got a Bobby Jones rookie, uh, which they were exploding on eBay with guy had a pretty cheap price. So I was able to pick up one of those. And that's the best part about the national is you're able to pick up stuff that either way too expensive on eBay, or you're able to go there and find something that's so niche. It might not be on eBay for six months or a year. And you just have your notification saved, hoping that someone lists it and that you're the first person that buys it before someone else does the same search notifications, buys it. Let me show you. I I just picked up a boxing card and I just, I just pulled it up so I can show it to you. I I don't know if you have this one, but this is a really cool card. And there's something kind of cool about this particular boxer, but are you familiar with this card? The T220s. I do not have that one. George Dixon. So this guy is, he's the guy who's known for inventing or creating what's known as shadow boxing. If you can believe that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. He happens to be Canadian as well. And so I picked this up. Uh, It's now my oldest uh, boxing card, if you will. I don't have very many boxing cards. I've got, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six of them. And this is now my oldest. It's, the year you'll notice the year isn't on the label, but it's 1909 or something. 190 oh, sorry, it's 1910. I have it in the file name right up there. It's 1910. PSA didn't do that for a lot of the boxing cards. I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, but if you look at even other brands as well, I mean the, the Carmels, the E75s, E76s, they don't have uh, that over there. The 2218s, uh, which I really like, that's one of my favorite sets from boxing. No year on that as well. Um, if, if people are getting new boxing, you need to check out the T218s. They're affordable. They're made by Mecca, and the pictures on them are really cool. Here, I'm going to quickly run through the other boxing cards just to show them because they're all pretty old. So I got this guy here. Oh, this is a, a wrestling card, Ruffy Silverstein. So this is there's a Joe Lewis 1937 Ardath photo cards. Really cool card. Jack Johnson, yep. Churchman. You've seen these cards, the 38 Churchmans. They're cool. Oh, something wrong with that picture. And then I got the Rocky Marciano from 51 Tops. That's a nice card. I think that's the last. Is that the last one? Oh, yeah, the Sugar Ray, the 48 Leaf. Maybe that was the one that didn't load up. Oh, that is. It's the Joe. You're right. It's the my Joe Lewis, actually, that didn't. that's not showing up. I don't know what the problem is with it. And then I lastly, one more modern card, PMG. I've got this Mike Tyson 
employee PMG purple. So those are my boxing. Yeah, too bad that Joe Lewis isn't showing up. Uh, okay, I want to go back. There was a comment I really liked here. I think it was, I passed it by. It's already, oh, it was a 1035. I remember. Wow, I can't believe I remember that. Let's see here. There's a comment right here. Hobby Champ says, True game used should command premiums over these modern no guarantees jersey pieces. I can't agree with that more, but but just because I agree with it and Hobby Champs thinks that and you may agree doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Because what uh LaMelo Ball National Treasures RPAs I hear are selling for like $150,000 or something like that without so it's not so much the market almost doesn't really care. It's a rookie card from the rookie year from the best brand. The patch, whether it's real, not real, whether it's actually game-worn, player-worn, or just bought off the shelf, is really just a decorative accent to the card at this point. I agree with the comment. True game use should command premiums over player-worn or just, again, manufactured type of patches, but that's not always going to be the case. So... It's it's interesting how the hobby works. Any comments on that, Ryan? What do you think? I mean, there's a reason why I'm buying this stuff right now for ten bucks. I think well, it's that, and that's and that this comment came in response to you showing those yeah. about about twenty it, minutes ago. It's grossly undervalued. Like I still look at the prices of the game used jerseys, what they're going for in auctions. You can find pieces of them super cheap. So I think I 100% agree that the game used stuff should be getting that premium, especially when you're getting great Hall of Famers as well, not yeah. just the modern players. But that's another whole comparison too. Like you're talking about, let's say a Jersey card of and just an all-star player. Is that really worth the same amount of money as a Frank Robinson Jersey card patch? So, okay, exactly. Rage agrees. Look at bird says, but why would you buy a patch of Frank Robinson when you could buy a Panini select concourse, orange prism scope die cut out of 149 <laughs> Justin Herbert. Well, now, I mean, if I, hey, if I can leverage that into another Roy Campanella, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. See, the funny thing is that I believe he's being sarcastic here. I think Birds is being sarcastic. I hope he is, but you never know. I mean, a lot of people would prefer a Justin Herbert parallel out of 149 to a Frank Robinson, right? There are people that would prefer that, and I can understand it, but, but, you know, five, ten years down the road, if you're looking out that far, you're going to want the Frank Robinson probably, I would think. But who knows? Who knows? Anything can happen. Mike likes your pickups. Sorry, everybody. Way back on the comment. Rage, I, I, I have that Griffey. It's actually stadium, stadium Club Finest on that Knew Griffey. It. I wasn't sure if it was Stadium Club or Finest. I was like, I couldn't but it, it is, but it's Stadium Club Finest because it says Stadium Club right on it. So, yeah, see, I'll show you. State, it's it's Stadium Club Finest, I guess, is the name of the. I, hey, I didn't even know what it was from. I just bought it because I thought the card was really cool, really cool. Birds on the bat says the waviness of the Scoring Kings basket and ball reminds me of Salvador Dali's melting clocks. Yeah, exactly. He's talking about the uh, the Patrick Ewing here that I showed. This one here, totally good call out. Birds on the bat, good call out. We got Bean's ball card blog in the house. Got to get back to some call of football, but can't wait to listen. So we probably lost you by now, but you're maybe listening to it now. We did get to your comment, Bean's ball card blog. Thank you so much for joining. Brad says, Ryan, for your information, tried to go to your website and Safari warned me that your certificate expired nine days ago. 
Okay, I'll have to definitely double check that. That's weird. Write that down. Good to know. Good to know. Do, uh, Hobby champs, I heart Dufex. Yeah, there's some good Dufex. Makes it for some nice, nice cards. Tom Bullard says, did you see the metal video with the real metal made meat metal logo? Yes, did see that, Tom. Uh, that's, that is in Jean McLeod's possession. She had that made so they could photograph the metal logo. Yeah, I just have this up still. So I'll show you guys what I'm talking about. This right here, this, this logo right here, they actually had it made and cast out of metal so that they could take photographs of that and use that on the card, on the that's Metal so cool. Universe cards back in 97. Really cool. Okay. Uh, Vintage Oddball, What what's a couple of underrated shows Ryan has gone to this year? What are a couple of shows you would never go back to? What shows had the most vintage? Ooh. All right. So underrated shows. The local show in, I think it's Hillard, Ohio, was 90% vintage. It's next uh, Card Collector 2's shop. And um, I got to say, I really, really like the stuff over there. I picked up some golf cards and you can find a bunch of pre-war cards, a lot of 50s and 60s. Dealers worked with you, and I really enjoyed the area as well. So I'd say for underrated, pr probably put that right there. It's not underrated, but another show I really enjoyed was Wizdell's. The reason for that, the venue, best venue out of any card show. Just the carpets around there, middle of a water park, the trade night venue, like everything was spot on with that. And I really wish I had more time there because I could have enjoyed the water park and done more things. Um, but if you're going to spend like a weekend at a card show, Wisdell's venue, awesome. Plus, I'd say it's at least 40, 50% vintage. I don't know what the last one I went two times or one or two times ago. And there was, it was really, really vintage heavy. Luckily, it was able to trade for a Jim Brown rookie. Super happy with that. Anytime you do that, it makes a card show for you. But uh, well, that's one. That's one that I really want to get to the Wisdell show. I, I love the uh, the people who organize that show. They're awesome. Did some deals with them at the National, and uh, I definitely want to get there because of the because of the venue and because of the plush carpets in the room. Like, don't ever underestimate the value of a carpeted show floor. Trust me on that, for sure. I want to go to this one. Ryan Simon says, "Are you both going to the Toronto Card Show in November?" thoughts on it since i assume i've got yes i have been to that show 30 times probably and uh, i love it it's 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 you know i love the national too but the expo it's called the expo it's called the sport card expo and um it it's the best show for me i mean the the national this this past year was the best show i've ever been to because of the social aspect and seeing and you know just where we were in the in the history of of the hobby and you know the pandemic and all that it made for you know we had we went a year and a half or at least or a year without uh well two years actually without meeting so many people that you got to know over social media so that was why it was great but the expo in toronto is excellent and it's historically it's been you know like 80 percent hockey i am willing to bet that it's going to be like under 50 percent hockey in november which is still going to be a lot of hockey for the hockey people who want a lot of hockey but for the basketball, baseball, football collectors and everything else, you're going to see a lot of those sports represented, especially with the Raptors having success, the Blue Jays having some real star power. And again, people and, and you get a lot of U.S. dealers up as well. So I, I can't wait for it. it's going to be awesome. You, you all have to come to it for sure. I definitely want to take a look at it for next year. Unfortunately, I already had a trip booked with my girlfriend's family that same exact weekend. I didn't know what was going to happen with COVID in the border. 
So yeah. do you want to go or do you want to go wait for the card show? So I booked that. So next year. Well, Ryan, it'll be, it, it's twice a year, you know, in, in, in non-pandemic time. So it'll be again, probably the first weekend of May next year. So book that off in your calendar. Tom Bullard says, shush, I was just looking at cheap Tiffany cards. Ray <laughs> says also the Fleer Crystal and Tiffany Parallels from the 90s. I showed you the Kobe today, Ryan. Sounds cool. Very cool. Hockey guy says brand recognition and pedigree. Young guards are established in hockey. It's true. But again, in the long run, I think the astute collector slash investor is going to look for rarity over um, a card you can buy any day in by the dozen on eBay or other online platforms. But for now, that's the way it goes for sure. For sure. Thank you, Dars. Likes my pickups. Appreciate it. That was from a couple of weeks ago already. Mercer85 says, what is the Griffey rookie card to own? So I, I have my thoughts on that. I mean, yeah, yeah what you want to you want to take this first? Sure. Well, I'm pretty sure he has two Tiffany ones between the Bowman and the tops. So I'd personally, my opinion, get the Tiffany's over the upper deck one. I know the upper deck's super iconic. Everyone absolutely loves it. But man, look at that pop report on that Griffey. There's just so many of them. And I understand the iconicness. It's, it's really cool. It started Upper Deck Company, which has made a ton of great products. But, dude, Tiffany's are 5,000 total compared to probably 100,000 plus out there graded. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. So I agree with you. I mean, the, the Upper Deck, 89 Upper Deck card number one is, it's almost as iconic as like the 52 Tops Mickey Mantle is. Now, value and scarcity, completely different. But as far as people being able to recognize it, it's it's up there. If you were a kid in the 80s or the 90s, you know that card. Even and 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 afterwards, even the 70s, you know, even the 60s, everybody who is collecting cards knows that card. So I'm not saying it's as important as a 52 tops mantle. I'm saying that it's just as well, it's very recognizable. Not as much, but it, it's it's up there. But does that make it the card to own? I don't think so because you have to consider scarcity. You just have to. And for my money, I think that, and you know, these other cards are more expensive to buy because the hobby recognizes it, but you know, Ryan nailed it. For me, it's the Bowman Tiffany is the one that I would want. It's, it's like, it's just a beautiful, beautiful card. I like the tops Tiffany. I like the tops, the look of that and the, and the Tiffany version as well. But there's something about that, that, Bowman Tiffany that really reminds me of like a special, like a 52 tops Mickey Mantle. It's just got that, I don't know, something about it. I can't, I can't describe it, but let me just also say, Ryan, hold on yep. a sec. Also, you've got, then you've got his Fleer rookie. You've got his Donruss rookie. Like these are other cards that are maybe in the discussion, but I would quickly, and they're more affordable, but if you, you know, if kind of money isn't an object, then I would go for the, the Tiffany's. Um, and then if you're not doing the Tiffany or the upper deck, I, I like that Donruss with those purple borders. Something about it just speaks to me. What were you going to say? Yeah. So this is the first year Bowman was brought back by tops. So they did a tribute back. I think it was 53 or 53 or 54 Bowman on top of my head. I might've flipped the different years um, there, but they're oversized cards as well in comparison to your normal ones. So just because the iconicness of that. And also I have to double check to confirm, but Bowman Tiffany's typically have a less of a print run than the tops Tiffany's. Uh, you can obviously look up all the different print runs online, 
with that. So with the scarcity involved with that, I think Bowman definitely is the way to go. The other thing I'd say for my third one, I think Fleer had glossy rookies that year that were a little more scarcer. So I'd put that as right after the Tiffany's. You're right. The Fleer, Fleer glossies in the eighties are, are, are worthy holdings as well, or, you know, worthy of, of, of any collection, I would say, uh, cause they are just that much rarer than the, than the regular base card, but you're right. The, the, the Bowman, the Griffey Bowman rookie is oversized, which I think adds a little character to it. One of the reasons why I do like it a bit more as well. Uh, okay. What else? We, we're way behind in the comments here, Ryan, cause you know, you've got so much great information to share. Albert Jones says, so you use a scanner for pictures. I do scan my cards. Yes, I have the, uh, I use the Epson V550. That's the scanner that I've been using for quite some time. Facebook user says, Ryan is definitely finding undervalued cards out there. Wow, love that, Dixon. I hope to start getting some boxing cards. Charles Smith, welcome to the show, Charles Smith. Tom says, I have a few now. My new favorite is 1956 Adventure Set Jack Dempsey. That's for talking about the boxing cards. Awesome, Tom. Would love to see that. I can't picture it in my head. It's kind of fun when you get to a point when people can just name a card and you can picture it in your head, you know? And it's like 100 years worth, too. But, of course... (laughs) Not the, all of them. That's Not out. We're always learning new things. That's, that's another thing about card shows because talking to dealers, you might see one card that you've never recognized before. And you're like, all right, I definitely need to talk to this guy to know a little bit back the backstory of it. Because if he bought that card or if he's owned it for a while, he had to do some research on it. Yeah. Lee says, as far as real jerseys, I'm a big fan of on-card autos instead of stickers. I only buy on-card autos. I'm with you. It's got to be a very a very uh, good kind of reason why I would add a sticker autograph to my collection. And they're getting, you know, fewer and fewer as the years go by, especially during this past year, because it's just hard to harder for the card companies to get the, the cards into the player's hands. But um, I'm with you. I do own some sticker autos and, uh, but they, you know, they have to present really well on the card for me to act to really like them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it looks a lot nicer signing on the card rather than a sticker. I have both my collection just because I can't afford some of the on-card autos. And I just look at it like, I'm just going to grab the autograph for now. And then in the future, if I want to upgrade, I'll do that. But I'd rather just have at least an autograph in the collection. Yeah. There's another comment on the Iron Maiden shirt. Thank you. Big Harv wants to know, have you been to any West Coast shows? I have not yet. And just because of travel, I have work at 8 a.m. on Mondays. And I work on Friday till 5 o'clock by the time getting the airport and everything like that. It's just so hard going all the way over there. So I have to figure out taking time off work, like two or three days, go to some West Coast shows and then coming back over. It's a hard thing. Mike says we should have a show where we all just show our cards, our card show, card shop finds from the day. I could watch that all day. So, I mean, speaking of that, a little bit different, but you can see all these boxes right there, like that right there, guys. If you can see that, all that, that's a collection I bought like a week and a half ago. And I have not had time to go through it. I don't know how many cards it is, but it's, it's, uh, five, 10, 15, 19, 20, 21, It's 23 boxes and two graded sleeves. And, uh, the boxes are all pretty, for the most part, they're all full and they're all, all the cards are organized. They're all like top loaded and wrapped. And, uh, the guy kept a very nice collection. It was a personal collection. It wasn't a guy's inventory. It was his collection. And, uh, I got to find time to go through it and figure out how I'm going to uh, how I'm going to start to uh, move them into their 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 proper homes over time. But uh, that'll 
or I was thinking maybe I should just do some sort of like Instagram live or a, I wouldn't do it on this show, but maybe some sort of show where I'm just going to kind of go through and show these cards and find out what people are interested in and then, and then have to juggle a million messages on 10 different platforms. Oh, it's so <laughs> whatnot, right? Or I was thinking about doing that actually, because so, you know, I am working with whatnot now I do have a deal with them where they're sponsoring or supporting the show. And part of it is that I'm going to go on to whatnot uh, every so often and do a stream, whether it's selling or showing parts of my PC or something different altogether. I got to talk to them about it, but I was thinking I could do that on there. Think about the live reveal for whatnot. You go on there for your first episode, you show off the collection that you buy and you do deals with it. Nice. Flipping Steve in the house. Steve, how's it going? Going to the rally show next week. I don't know what to expect. Well, look forward to hearing you talking about it on your channel, sir. As always, love your content. Hockey guy says, I'm looking at cards, but nothing related to what's being discussed. This show always gets me cruising Com C and eBay. That's a good good way to uh, multitask, right? For sure. Albert Jones says, so I should keep my Crosby Future Watch patch next to my Future Watch. Next, You should keep your Crosby Future Watch and your the patch and the regular future watch auto i would say yes keep them and if you want to keep them together why not those are amazing amazing cards adam bailey makes reference to the uh the griffey mantle dual auto i saw i saw someone at the national who had just the mantle auto just the griffey auto and then one together and i didn't i didn't realize for the longest time that they had just their singular autos i knew about the dual auto but not the singles so the single someone having all different variations of that was really awesome that is cool. I saw that. I saw that post. On, it must have been on Instagram just the other day too. Yeah, maybe you showed it. Was that you? Did you show it on one of your videos or? I showed it on a video, not Instagram though. That's where I saw it. I saw it on your video for sure. Tom Bullard says, "Future Watch rookie auto still a good rare thing in hockey." Yeah, that's my go-to. We talked about what's the best Ken Griffey Jr. rookie to have for me in hockey. The future, the SP authentic Future Watch auto is kind of the. I mean, some of them are very, you can't, you know, the Ovechkins and the Crosbys are $20,000, but if you're looking at, well, in, in PSA 10s, but if you're looking at, um, you know, still a compromise between, say, the Young Guns and the the Cup RPA, that's where that's where I want to be in, in between. I, I love those cards. They're beautiful. Every year, they're beautiful. Birds on the Bat says, Bowman Tiffany PSA 10 Griffey is the top one value-wise because of scarcity, but I'd rather the base tops traded. I'm a simple man. Hey, whatever you, whatever floats your boat, right? That, that makes sense to me. But yeah, the Bowman Tiffany is the one that uh, if you're looking like what's the best, the best one in terms of scarcity and eye appeal, which is subjective, of course, and value, I'd say I'd go with the Bowman Tiffany. Uh, but there's reference made here, Ryan, to the uh, the Fleer Glossy, yep. of course. Yeah. Tom says, I like 89 Bowman, but it's because I have a bunch of it. Well, that's, that makes sense for sure. Score Glossy. Yeah, we didn't even mention Score Glossy. So I remember Score. Was there a Glossy? There, there must have been a Glossy. It kind of rings a bell. I didn't know that. So, yeah. Rage says Score had Glossy SSP that year as well. Okay. So they were all doing it. They're all doing it. That's pretty cool. Wow, what a slacker! What's that? If what's that in reference to? Not getting to this cart to this collection, maybe. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Chris. You know how it goes. 
Mike Wick says, see, you should have a reveal here. It must be. You should have a reveal party and we will watch you look through them to see what you got in the collection. Well, I can tell you guys one thing. It is all hockey. Every single card in that box, it's all hockey. And uh, But yeah, there's some cool stuff in there. That's for sure. Anything going in your PC or is it all going to be like trade bait or you're selling? No, I did peel off three cards. When I went and looked at the collection at, at first, I wasn't sure that I was going to buy it or I was going to be able to buy it. So I pulled out three cards that I really wanted. And so we did the, so we ended up doing the deal on everything else. And then after that deal was done, he goes, what about those three? I go, well, I want them too. I go, I, and I mean, I, I paid money for this collection. It was well into five figures. And I was like, well, for that amount, I was hoping maybe you'd throw them in, but he didn't. I said, no, nah, it's okay. And I, I paid him uh, an extra couple hundred bucks, but um, I did pick up three cards for myself and I'll go through them. There are some other cards in there that could become personal collection. I got to see when I can recover my investment out of them and then see what's left and decide from there. But three for sure, which are just kind of all filed away already. So yeah, it was all hockey, Chris. Uh, he collected, so you know, panini prime colors in hockey there's um there's four boxes of those fill he has he had 400 panini prime colors patches and uh yeah they're they're over there here i'll show you i'll give a, a little a little bit of a preview here so that's how he kept his cards and these are again they're all they're all like um like these kinds of cards. Ah, here, let me do it this way. And oh, they're by, there was by team. So these are all Washington, because I must have some Winnipeg. It's all, like, look at this card here. Now that's a no, but it's, it's not much of a player, but again, there, there's, uh, there's like 400 of these things in this collection. I think I like <laughs> I'll go like that. Pardon? I said I picked up a few Eichels a long time ago. With those. Oh, yeah, nice. Eichel's a good player for sure. It's all it's all modern. Uh, it's all modern. There were some rookie. There's a Gretzky rookie in there. There's a, there's a Mary Lemieux rookie, a Patrick Waugh. There's like a there's a McDavid, a Crosby, an Ovechkin, Young Guns, a Con uh, um, uh, Nathan McKinnon, all like PSA or PDSA 10s or BGS 95s. Lots of real. It was. It's a. It's a good collection. It's a good collection, but it's going to take some time to go through for sure. Matt Jones says, "Little nicer comments in this show than earlier." True that. Boy, <laughs> I'm with you on that one for sure. Skeppy says, "What are your thoughts on box bottoms and hand cut cards from both the '80s and '90s vintage eras?" I got comments on that, but I've been talking for the last little bit. Ryan, why don't you jump in? Yeah. So. I can't tell you much about the nineties and some of the eighties stuff, but at least from like pre-war side of things, I really like the hand cut cards, um, especially with the high grades because not everyone cut where they're supposed to. And a lot of them that you're going to find out there are just going to be authentic because they're minimum size or the cut is really sloppy. Like I picked up a collection of them a while ago at like $2 each at a card show, but these things were cut like kind of like these at the very bottom like that. And then it was cut all crooked and everything. They're not going to grade, obviously, with that standpoint, but there's so many of those that were like that and the fact that they're hand cut. I know not everyone fully treated their cards well back then, but especially hand cut, no one would really think those are going to be great. And if you look at the pop reports on hand cut cards from there, they're always so much lower 
than the stuff like you'd find in, with tobacco or gum. So I really like them. The designs aren't as nice as something like a Gaudi or a T206 or a T205. So there's that aspect of it. But from the scarcity standpoint and some of the rookie cards that you can find, I think they're cool. I agree. I agree. I, I'm i a fan. I love, I have some in my collection, uh, like Mar Mario Lemieux's rookie year, 85 Opeachy. Uh, and there's a tops version as well. You can get the box bottom and I own a copy of the Opeachy. I love it. To me, I consider it a rookie card, even though it's not pack pulled and it's cut from the bottom of the box. But to me, it's a rookie year card. I know it doesn't get the is RC designation. What? Is, is that the yellow one, I think? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. To me, it's it's like it's a key card. And I also have a whole bunch of music cards and like Hollywood cards from the 50s and 60s that are hand cut. They're they're from Europe. They're mostly from Sweden or Finland and uh, or Sweden or Denmark, I believe. And um, I think they're awesome. I, I have no issue with, with hand cut cards that were meant to be hand cut. So them are my thoughts. Hockey guy says, oh, wow, was it the guy on HI that was collecting the prime colors? It was not the guy on HI that was collecting the prime colors. There were two guys. This guy has no, the guy that I bought that collection from had, has had and has no social media. He's a, I don't know if he's an older gentleman, but he's probably, I don't know, late fifties, early sixties. And um, just a local guy here who I, who I've known for years. And I used to, I used to source a lot of the cards for him actually so a lot of them i just sort of it's not jay's stuff yeah rob said it's not jay's stuff at all it's a completely different collector totally which is hard to believe i'm sure but it's 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 the fact his name is mike his name is mike we call him the we call him the baron if you in calgary uh, from our trade he's a trade night guy in calgary rob you probably know him but anyway it's the baron's collection that's who it is you've seen him at the shows yeah that's a cool jets patch Matt Jones, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mike, yes, I do collect hockey. My favorite player, uh, my favorite all-time player is Timu Solani. He's my favorite athlete of all time, uh, but he's not the guy I collect the most. My biggest collection is um, uh, is Dale Howarchuk. My biggest person, my biggest one-player collection is Dale Howarchuk. My favorite player playing right now. That's tough. That's tough. I'd have to. I have to think about it. It's, it was Johnny Goudreau for a while, but he kind of, I don't know if his heart was in it last year. So I'm, um, I'm with, maybe I'm without a favorite, but maybe Matthew Kachuk for the, for the Calgary flames. I know he's hated in a lot of, a lot of uh, other cities, but um, he's pretty good. Tom says Eichel and Reinhardt need to get of the Sabres need to get it together. They sure do. Here we go. Rock latex sets us straight. Let's us know that there is no 89 score traded glossy. They made them an 88, but not 89. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I, I never saw it before, so I was like, "Did I? Look? I didn't know." So yeah, gonna... like I said, it rings a bell because score glossy. I thought I'd seen something somewhere. I thought must have been uh, must have been eighty eight. Must have been eighty eight. But yeah, I don't remember a Griffey card like that. So for sure, all those cards disappear so, disappear somewhere from eBay. They all do. They all do. Hoggett shows a crazy Hellebuck patch and says some rant. No, that wasn't Hellebuck. That was uh, that was Pavlik. That was that was Pavlik. wasn't wasn't Hellebuck, Chris. Unfortunately, I wish it was Hellebuck. Ryan, okay, let me go back. I had a couple notes for you. So we talked about the national. We talked about where you are this weekend. Uh, we talked about other shows you've been to. We talked about shows in Canada in terms of the Toronto Expo. We haven't yet talked about your new podcast that you're doing with Jordan. 
from Sports Card Analytics called Moneyball Cards. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so both me and Jordan are full-time data analysts. And one thing that kind of took over the sports card scene, or not sports card scene, but sports in the early 2000s was Moneyball. Um, obviously, Bean went over to Oakland and revolutionized how all the different teams started evaluating players and figure out what the best values were out there. So me and Jordan talked for a little bit, and we decided to build out a podcast based around looking at more advanced stats of cards. So not only are we going to look at like specific values and use tools like that, but we're going to deep dive and compare different players, different eras, and take a look at things that people aren't really diving deep into. So every week we're doing different things. Like last week we did a Mythbusters episode where we were comparing defensive players and also pitchers. So a lot of things that get spewed throughout the hobby is like, oh, pitcher cards, don't invest in pitcher cards. They're worthless. Or don't buy defensive players. You're never going to make any money on defensive players. So we kind of deep dived into it. We took hours and started researching it. I built out a full spreadsheet based off of 20 different players. I uh, compared both uh, just a general reference stat of war, which compares different players from different eras. It's not perfect by any means like that. But just going by war, uh, I did an average of a 75 war for both batters and pitchers. I did 20 different cards all the way from 1888 Allen and Ginter to 2018 Topps Baseball. And I try my best to make sure everything was either like a high series rookie cards if they were both the same, like, for example, and 49 Bowman on, or if they're just like normal low series cards. So built out that whole spreadsheet, looked at, compiled all the data, and I found like pitchers or batters are worth pretty much 60% more than a pitcher card. And then I went through that as well and started comparing like, okay, if we know the 60% multiplier, what batters are undervalued and what pitchers are undervalued. And from a pitching perspective, it should be no surprise with this one, but Randy Johnson is the most undervalued pitcher in the hobby, especially comparing him to Griffey prices. When Randy Johnson was the better baseball player than Ken Griffey Jr., obviously now you have to put in the popularity aspect of it. And that's something that we're going to be taking a look at this week. So in this week's episode, we're going to be looking at both the search volume data on Google. So one of the tools I use at work is SEMrush, and it gives you Google information on how many times people search things both geographically and also across the world in different areas, how many searches per month. So we're going to be using that. We're going to also be using uh, jersey sales. So obviously, if someone wants to buy a jersey, uh, it can kind of show you how popular a player is. And there's a few other things that we're going to be taking a look at and start compiling the data, seeing, okay, what players get affected most by search volume, what players get affected most by jersey sales, let's say PSA submissions and things like that and just run all those numbers, and we're going to make an episode out of it this week. But every week we're trying to do something a little bit different and deep dive into things that no one else is doing. So I got to ask, you, you say, you know, Randy Johnson, better player than Griffey. Uh, and, I mean, he was obviously a dominant pitcher, and I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that comment. But I got to ask about Greg Maddox, because for when I was watching baseball, and I was watching baseball in the 80s and the 90s, Greg Maddox was, like, one of the best guys I ever saw. How, how, and do you know, have you looked at him? How does he rank against Randy Johnson? I'd have to do a head to head comparison. Greg Maddox was mown more. It's throwing those nine inning games, low pitch counts. He wasn't as much of a dominant strikeout pitcher as Randy Johnson was. So there are two different types of pitchers within the game of baseball. I mean, he was more of that finish the full game. Randy Johnson was going out there, get 10, 15 strikeouts per game. And that's why, like, if you look at the strikeout totals, Randy Johnson is right up there with Nolan Ryan. But Greg Maddox is another player. I mean, his Tiffany cards are dirt cheap. I picked up a nine, I think, last year for like $40 or $50. Yeah, 
Uh, no brainer. I don't know why this comes to mind, but for, I remember Fernando Valenzuela was all the rage in the hobby. Dodgers. I mean, early on and like, what was that? 82, 83, 84, something like that. And uh, you know, you, you don't, no one collects Fernando Valenzuela anymore, but he was, he was the hottest thing going. That's like Strasburg today. I mean, Strasburg yeah. came out and everyone started throwing so much money into Strasburg. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, Strasburg and Santa are kind of the same way. They both have had injury plagued careers and they're going to be big. What ifs? I mean, heck look at Stanton with who knows how many home runs he would have, especially playing in New York and Strasburg. Imagine how many strikeouts he would have if he had a full healthy career. Something will happen with that 2010, uh, 2010 rookie class. Yeah. So here we go. A couple of people are saying, uh, whoa, calm down about the Randy Johnson better than Griffey. Uh, Anthony George says, you know, kind of, kind of laughs. And the thing is, is that you're talking about two different positional players. Like you can't, yeah. it's like saying Wayne Gretzky was better than, or Patrick Wall was better than Wayne Gretzky. Like you can't really make that comparison. You know what I mean? But you did make it. So do you want to explain that? I think it's fair. Why don't you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the metrics that different sites use, uh, like FinGraphs and also baseball reference is war. And war compiles a bunch of different stats based off of a player. Um, takes a look at the era that they played in, the different teams and ballparks they played in, and tries to combine everything from both, let's say, the defensive aspects, the base running, and pitching. And that way you can compare a player from, let's say, the 1920s to a player today and see how their war and compares like that. And every site has their own formulas. You can dive deeper into them and see how they're computed. But this is a way that you can compare players from different eras and players from different positions based around it. So, like, for example, a center fielder is going to get more defensive war is the harder position than someone that plays right field uh, just based off of how good you have to be to play that position based off of different types of plays that you can have. And also, war is kind of like expanding stats. So as more advanced baseball stats get implemented, different sites update war. The one drawback right now with the stats is the catcher position and baseball bits, which is really, really great channel based off of advanced data in baseball talks about how Yadier Molina isn't properly associated with uh, how war is properly commuted right now. Uh, it doesn't really impact different framing stats. doesn't really show like how great he was at throwing out base runners. And there's a few other things right now that really affects the catcher position. War is by no means perfect, but it's a really good way to compare different players. Okay, fair. Well, here, Birds on a Bat makes a comment, says it has a whole host of issues. It's a bit reductionist and problematic to use it as if it's the law of the land. Remember, it's a model. It's not reality. I'd advise you to shy away from this. Well, I, I think you said at the end there, you're not, you, you do not. understand it. You do understand yeah. it has some drawbacks. Absolutely. Or limitations even. Yeah. I use it as a basic reference point from that. I try yeah. to add out the war from both pitchers and batters when comparison. So hockey guy says this is not at all how I understand war, and I just want to say that I read I read up on war. I don't, I didn't I didn't I didn't study it close, but I read it. And I'm like I don't even understand this, so I just sort of gave up on it. But um, it, it'd be nice to have a really good understanding of it, so that I for myself, so that I. But I don't follow baseball close enough to care really, uh, and I don't buy or collect or invest in baseball cards enough, like modern day guys, to care really. But it still would be good to know because I hear people talking about it and I would like to understand it so that I could under also understand its limitations. Sure. I think that could be a good episode. We're deep dive into war. You do that episode and I will watch and try and learn from you. How's that? Perfect. <laughs>
Right on, right on. Uh, yeah, Birds on the Bat says, I posted the comment before the final sentence. Yeah, fair. no. Very, very fair. Rage, Rage makes the what I consider to be a great comment. Griffey is the best person to swing a bat on God's green earth, period. Beautiful and, swing. And to swing a bat, meaning, you know, half the pitchers don't count. <laughs> Jim Abbott deserves so much more love and should be more... I don't know if that finished off somewhere, uh, but yeah, I mean that Jim Abbott, like he was missing a limb or, or a hand, right? Like that that guy, definitely his card was hot in the eighties. I re I remember that for sure. Tom Bullard calls out Jack McDowell. Remember him as well. A, a couple of votes for Pedro Martinez. Here's one, best I've ever seen to watch. No, uh, Nolan Ryan, Greg Maddox. Yeah, all great, great players for sure. Tony Gwynn is a close second to Ted Williams talking about swinging the bat. Sorry, but Ted Williams is the best hitter all time, not the kid. And now we're we're comparing people who played like what fifty years apart. But that's why we, we you can use WAR as like a general reference. I mean, obviously you want to look at more stats than just WAR when comparing players, but at least you can take a look at both of those and say, all right, well look at the era that they played at, and even like so. Another example of why WAR could be good to use as a reference. So. Mel Ott and Jimmy Fox both played in the 1930s. However, they used different baseballs, both in the American and National League. Mel Ott played with a baseball that wasn't able to hit out of the ballpark as much as uh, Jimmy Fox was. So comparing both of them, Mel Ott does have a higher war than Jimmy Fox. But obviously, there's a lot more to look into it just than that. Yeah, and you know, back to the Griffey-Ted Williams thing, and questions for everybody you know, were the were the pitchers throwing the balls as fast and as hard? Were, were the were the balls were the bats the same weight? Were they made out of the same materials? What were you know what were they? What was their their equipment like? Their uniform that might have had a had an effect? And even you know, and I think this gives more uh, credibility to the earlier guys because they were working with less to be that good. But were they? But on the same token, were they hitting the ball as far? Were they hitting it as fast, as hard? All these things, right? I don't know. Were the pitchers as good back then as they are now? I mean, in hockey, everything's gotten better. You know, from the equipment to the ice to the the puck has changed a little bit. Like everything has changed. They, so, to 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 conditioning, to lifestyle. You know, they they well, used they, to smoke cigarettes in between periods. I'm sure they were drinking beers on, on the diamond. You know, they, baseball was a drinkers' league. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you should have uh, pre-war stories, especially like the early 1900s or 1800s when baseball is played. Man, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, but hey, that's what that's that can be fun, right? That can be fun to. It's always fun to talk about. Even Chris, even if we've talked about it so many times, we can go down that road one more time. Let's see. Rock Latex says a lot of people are using career war to predict future Hall of Famers. This is where the Arenado is underappreciated camp is. Yep. Same with Machado as well. If you look at Machado, he has, I think, 45 or 50 war, and he's not even 30 yet. He's like 28 or 29. And people are buying up prospects right now at age 24 or 25 years old that haven't entered the league. You're talking about a player getting additional 50 war in four or five years entering the league. Stick with your guys like Machado and Arenado. Yeah. Birds on the bat says it's silly to loft the modern player on a pedestal simply because they were born later. Yeah, it's it's 
but it's natural too, simply because they're they're relevant today, you know. So you're so people are going. I think it's a just a natural bias to do that. Just like just like you know, like talk about goats. All you ever for basketball, all you all you ever hear is Jordan or LeBron. Rarely do people bring up guys like Kareem or Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain or Magic or Larry. Like you all, it's always MJ or LeBron. So I think it's kind of a just the way things go. It's a decent shorthand, but needs to be taken with a grain of salt. I think we're talking about war there. Yep. Anthony George says, every single time Ryan is a guest, we have a fantastic show and a great healthy chat going. Love it. Thanks, hey, Thanks. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Rich Frank says, Nolan is absolutely underappreciated. I think he's talking about the pitcher. Nolan. No, I think he's talking about the pitcher, not not that guy. <laughs> I think, I think. A difficult one right there. Let's see what hockey guy says. People also put the all-time greats on a pedestal. No one can ever be as good as X, Y, or Z. Currency Project says, so true. NHL players enter the league in ridiculous shape, conditioning, diet, and training these days. Not only that, but, I mean, they're they're bred from a very young age. Like, they're, it starts when they're, like, you know, I don't know, anywhere from 8 to, like, 12 or 13 years old, and it's, like, all they do is hockey. So back in the day, it wasn't quite like that. Not to the degree it is now. Now it's like hockey immersion. And I'm sure it's the same in other sports or similar. Anyway. Baseball. And it's my belief, but people starting at such a young age and playing so frequently is the reason why we have all these Tommy John surgeries right now. Because like I played up playing competitive baseball in men. It was every single weekend you'd be traveling, playing a different tournament across the country. And kids that are young, let's say five, six years old, are pitching both on Saturday and Sunday, full games. Mind you, Major League Baseball players pitch, they have five days, and then they pitch again, right? The five-man rotation. They're having kids five, six, seven years old pitching back-to-back days. You wonder why pitchers are getting their arms cut open. <laughs> Shit, yeah. A couple of good comments that came in here. Tom says, uh, the greatest scorer has to be Chamberlain with a 100-point game. So I say, does that make him the greatest one game scorer because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar I believe is the all-time leader in points or at least he he was I don't know if he's been overtaken now by a modern guy like LeBron or someone like that but does that make him the greatest scorer of all time because he had one game with 100 points I, I don't know legit question and I'm not saying he is or isn't but and to me Wilt is is a legend uh, among among uh you know all-time greats across all sports so wouldn't won't argue with that comment, but you know, I think we could we could talk about it a little bit more. Good evening, Jason Pringle. Great to have you, buddy. Andy Max says, "How about comparing uh, Tiger Woods to Jack Nicholas? Huge debate, and the equipment factor applies." Fair, like in basketball, what has changed? The sneakers, and the, has the ball changed? Like, and I'm not talking about the three point line and stuff like that, but equipment wise, like all they have are all that matters are sneakers. Like the rim hasn't the height of the rim hasn't changed. I mean, I'd say probably the game style has changed every decade has different things. And I'm not a basketball expert by any means. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But I'm pretty sure how people played the game has evolved quite a bit. Hockey guy says, weren't a lot of hockey players farmers in the offseason? Yeah, you look at hockey cards from the 70s and on the back, it'll tell you what their what their other job was. <laughs> right? Their other, and like now the other job is simply training. That's their other job. Here we go. The big unit says Ted Williams also flew fighter jets in World War II in the Korean War. He was the real life John Wayne. Yeah, no doubt. Great. Yeah, that 
that's a legend icon all of it right all of it. it was like a lot of dealers the vintage dealers know or have ted williams stories because he used to sign at some of the different card shows like one of the vintage dealers i go to in florida um, uncle dick he told a story about ted williams he was like had some good whiskey or something like that and that full full story talking about it it's pretty funny yeah some good comments here we'll keep going through them okay ryan sounds good birds on the bat says the most undervalued players right now relative career success and card populations are pew holes and ichiro overvalued shockingly enough is probably trout 5500 psa 10 is nuts for three thousand dollars yeah the tops update and the thing about trout too he's a great player he does have some injury concerns with it and more wise other stats as well advanced stats He's a, he's, a, he's a stat darling, like really, really good. But you have to, a lot of people have to remember, players start declining in their 30s. So you still have that full risk. Is Trout's production going to stay flat? Is it going to decline a lot? Is it going to go way up? There's a lot of players that do extremely well through age 31 and 32 and decline. If you look at a lot of Hall of Fame careers. All right. Skeppy says, true measurement of a player comes from the players they played with and against. Yeah, something to be said for that. That's why it's just so hard to really make these comparisons because there's so many factors. Johnny V says kids are throwing curveballs at 11. That's why you are seeing the, that's another the, issue as well. Yeah, rage sets me straight. Bill Russell better than Wilt. Look at the accolade. I don't think I said otherwise there, but thanks for the. And I'm not saying you're you're saying other other than that, but uh, Bill Russell better than Wilt uh, as far as scoring goes. I think is what the comment was because the other one was a will was the greatest score. So there's going to be debate and all of this all the time. And Hey, that's part that's of the fun of it all. Right. Yeah. Tom says the three point line change. It did, but does that change the skill set in the, that you need to play? I mean, it changes strategy and it changes points for sure. So I get, I get that of course, but it doesn't change. I don't think it changes your skill, like the or, or or not your skill, but I don't think it changes the way you're able to use your skills. Maybe it does. I guess it does for shooting. Got to think about that. It'd be harder to get a shot from farther away. So I don't know if it moved in or moved back or however it happened with the three-point line because, I mean, it's a lot harder to make a half-court shot than it is from 10 feet away or 15 feet away. And, and I, the reason why I'm kind of hesitating on that is because I'm thinking like, well, once the three-point line is introduced, players are going to start practicing more and they're going to get better at hitting three-pointers because there's incentive to do so, right? So I think that probably does have an impact on skill because they're going to develop that skill now uh, with, with more vigor than they otherwise would have. 100%. So, uh, Daniel Busby, I still say Kobe holds a single-game score. Did, but did he, did he ever have a 100-point game, though? I don't think so. I don't know if he did or not. Steven said 81. 81, yeah. For modern times, that's crazy, though. Ink, paper, wax collector says, now we all know, and Ryan will agree, Don Bradman is the goat of all goats in all sports. He is, man. But he is. I, after, I, after I started talking about Bradman, man, people started buying that stuff off of eBay. I need to stop talking about cricket because I need to finish my Hall of Fame run. I'm getting close to my Hall of Fame run. I need like 15 or 20 more cards, and now they're getting sniped off of me. I just want to have that full set. And start going through videos like, all right, so these are different eras of cricket. But every time I'm getting outbid now. I wonder if I wonder if that is your doing, like for real. <laughs> it might have been because I, be. people started messaging me about cricket cards like the last three or four months. Like I only knew a few collectors beforehand. I was talking to them for advice. 
and now I'm getting like 10 or 15, maybe even more. They're asking me like, oh, what's about cricket? What's about cricket? I'm like, guys, I need to finish this Hall of Fame run first, please. All right, let's keep going. Anthony George says, Pujols is not respected the way he should be. Feel like many are not until they are done. Stupid, crazy numbers. And we all just got used to it. I think you're right, Anthony, though. I think that he he will get respect when he's done and people step back and forget about what he's done these last few years and look at the whole body of work. That's, you know, I, I think I, I'm with you on that. Bob's big boy says, Kareem's scoring record is Ripken-like. That's a great point. Based more on consistent longevity more than scoring excellence. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense for sure. Flipping Steve, I remember that Ted Williams story he told us yeah. at the National. Yeah, so Steve Steve and I went vintage shopping. We're going to do the same thing in Philly as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but, man, uh, Uncle Dick's a great guy. If you guys go to a card show and you see him over there, he has a bunch of different binders, a lot, a lot of vintage stuff as well. Um, you need to talk to him because this guy has so much knowledge about cards and sports history, and he can tell you stories for days. Cool. Good to know. Good tip. Good tip for card shows. Tom Bullard. I didn't say Wilt was the best player, just has to be the best scorer, as in most points in a single game. Definitely better players and scores overall. I mean, there's got to be an argument for Steph Curry being the best scorer of all time at this point, right? I mean, you're not a basketball guy, but to the chat, even I, I think I see people making that argument all the time. I watch him. The guy. I mean, you. you are expensive, so I'd assume that the market kind of thinks that. Yeah, but when you watch him play it's very rare that he misses a shot. Like, I don't know what it, what is, what his completion or, or his success percentage is, but what we're shooting percentage, what, what is it? Like it's gotta be the highest in a long time, maybe of all time. I'm not sure. Ted Williams lived two houses down from Rage's wife growing up in Dedham, Massachusetts. That's cool. Oh, wow. We're way behind in the comments. We're not going to get through them all. Hey, just we can go on for a bit. It's fun. All right. All right. Sounds good. Hockey guy, Ichiro is a goat. Rich Frank, Trout's best days are past him. Birds on a bat. Meanwhile, Ichiro 01 PSA 10 is pop 132. Pujols is 227. And Pujols is way better than Trout through his first 10 years. By all accounts, birds on a bat. Thank you, birds. Glad you're enjoying it. Thank you, Thank Ryan, you. for joining as well. The conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Rich Frank, Ichiro brought me back into the hobby. That's saying something right there, for sure. It, Ichiro is the original Otani, man. Yeah. Birds on the... Oh, you are welcome, Birds. Thank you for being here. Mercer 85, a properly thrown curveball is a safe pitch to throw at any age. Coaching is trash. A coaching of CB. What's CB? I don't know CB. Is trash at youth. Okay. Like I said, they overused pitchers, man. I threw probably 200 pitches in a weekend, and I know a lot of other people that did as well. Busby says, "Can you imagine if Otani can keep up what he's doing now for 10 years? Yeah, that would be that would be insane. But just like looking at the the data side of things, he's what 28 years old. You're expecting him to do this at 38? That's just so tough. I mean, Nelson Cruz has proved me wrong, but to be able to both pitch and hit till 38." I think it takes a toll on his body. A lot of things have to not go wrong between now and then for that yeah. to happen. Rage says, I love the camaraderie in the chat. Yeah, where were you guys all in the last episode? Could have used you all then, for sure. You guys got to come out and support more on the first show. Like, it's all good. 
Bob's big boy says the best value in the hobby is 0405 game used Jersey LeBron cards. These cards are game used from his rookie year. Imagine if MJ had a second year card with a game used Jersey patch from rookie season. See, that's, I used to, I used to, I used to do this, Ryan, like Bob's big boy is onto it. I used to say that the best cards to buy in, and I'm going to speak it to hockey. Ryan's taking a note. He likes that advice. I have all my notes here. Like, I try to learn as I go, right? Everyone here. So, has- so I used to I used to say that in hockey, when the the cup RPA came out and they were they were game or they were uh, player worn or photo shoot, I was like, well, wait for the second year cards. Buy that player's limited logos, which is going to be game worn. That's a better card, and I I thought there was something to that, and I still think it's a better card. Like it's just a it just makes logical sense. However, the hobby puts so much value on RC that yep. it overrides what's what the card is made of. It just does. It's it's funny though, because like traditionally, even like pre-war and some of the 40s and 50s cards, it's it's so out of whack. Like for example, like Roy Campanella, we talked about 49 Bowman, but it's 52 tops. I know it's a high number and scarcer, but card way later in his career is worth more than the 49 Bowman. See about the mantle, oh. right? The yep. tops mantle is worth more than the 51 Bowman. I know it's a high number, but there's a lot of rumors that this 52 tops mantle was a double print. So, right. But, but also there's, there's also the, the, I believe fact that a lot of those double print cards were dumped into the, into the river. They were. So, and the other part of it though, that really has to be contemplated in the discussion is that there's way more people that collect the 52 top set. Absolutely. That's why the Campanella and, and, and the mantle are just more, expensive than than the bowman the earlier bowman or leaf cards yeah i'm not going to disagree the weird part though is jackie robinson also has a 49 bowman and a 52 tops but the price doesn't accurately align with that so two different players uh in the different sets and one is higher for 52 tops one is lower for 52 tops and i wonder if part of that is because a player like jackie robinson is culturally much is just more significant so the rookie card becomes that much more valuable even though his 52 tops card is no slouch yeah but his 48 leaf is uh is and i love that card it's my favorite card i have probably and you have I, a six, uh, right i think was that you have it what a four or six i can't remember a six yeah yeah a, a, an off-centered six yeah okay look Good chatter, good chatter. Tom Bullard said they also used to tip off after every score and didn't introduce the arrow until later than I th- thought. Want to say 50s or 60s for some reason? Anyway, I don't know that, but that's interesting comment. Jordan says the cool thing about analytics is multiple people can look at them and each person can have a unique interpretation. Yes. That's, that's and right. Look, and that's why I like having Jordan as a co-host too. So we have different mindsets. I'm in a long-term game for my cards that I invest in. He's in a short-term game. So we both kind of go off of that. Like, all right, do you want to buy this card or not? He'll say like, okay, short-term you should. I talk about the long-term. So you have two different beliefs on that. And we do different things that work as well. So having the two different mindsets debate back and forth and also look at different sports really helps with that. So talking about your uh, your new podcast with Jordan, who's on the screen right now in the comment there, Sports Card Analytics. Is it just a, uh, a podcast on all your podcast platforms or are you guys doing this on YouTube as well? So yeah, we have it on YouTube right now. And 
uh, probably after next week, we're going to start adding it into the different podcast platforms. We just want to grow the YouTube channel a little bit. So it had a little bit of an audience before we push it out everywhere. But and it's, it's, it's its own new YouTube channel. Correct. Yeah. It is Moneyball Cards. Got it. So guys, make sure you all uh, check these guys out. Give them a subscribe and uh, check out Moneyball Cards on YouTube. Johnny V says Vince Carter had an 84 point game. There were some comments here that like, you know, Wilt's 100 point game. There were no three pointers in that game. That's very impressive, right? Like, you know, Kobe's 81 point game. How many of those were three pointers? So 80s was a three point line. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so, right. So, so Wilt's 100 point game, that's like, 50 baskets or or more with with free with uh free throws that's crazy colby's 81 point game how many were three were threes i don't know someone could probably look that up pretty quick but it's probably like 10 or 12 or something like that so right. it's pretty impressive what 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 wilt did in that one specific game and i mean throughout his career of course too david robinson did 70 plus to win a scoring title yeah david robinson there's another guy that was like right. he was the guy first though know, it in 89, 90, 91, like even late, even going in yeah. until Tim Duncan got there. Oh, that's another one of those cards that are so faked, but it's a junk wax era card. Like I didn't talk about it. It's so like a $5 card, but there's so many fakes out there with it, which is funny. Which is funny because the card overall isn't that valuable <laughs> because it's just from the junk wax era. Here we go. Ink, pa- ink paper wax collectors, one of those 10 to 15 cricket collectors out there for <laughs> sure. Ray says Curry is the best pure shooter. Second is Ray Allen. I love I love Ray Allen all because of that movie he was in, which I always forget the name of, but that was a great movie. Steph certainly the best shooter. I think it's hard to argue Steph is a superior scorer scorer to Jordan or Wilt, but shooting absolutely makes sense to me. What is that? Oh. Beavis Card says, are there any unopened tobacco tins with baseball cards in them? There's got to be a couple First, somewhere. Acts. I mean, I, I see it in some of the Facebook groups, like the pre-1975 groups people posted. One, there was a uh, polar bear that was posted this week I saw, and it was really, really cool. And at the National, too, there was one dealer that literally just specialized in those. Again, take the National as a museum when you're there. If you're going to go multiple days, maybe do it like the third or fourth day, take it as a museum, buy your cards first. But if you're only going one day, spend literally half the day taking it as a museum because you don't see these pieces online. A guy had like 10 or 15 different ones from different eras. Really cool. Yeah, you're right. There's so much to see at the National. Rock Latex says, Jackie 48 Leaf has priced out a lot of collectors, so they go for the 40 to, to the 49 Bowman, Yep, which is a great second choice for sure. And they're Bob both too because of the print run with the Leafs. Leaf was a 40 and 49 print run. They don't know 100% sure if it was printed only in 48 or 49. So that's why like some cards are weird with the Leafs and the Bowmans, what's considered a true rookie. Sounds good. I've, heard, I've been sort of familiar with that uh, with that tidbit. Uh, which 22-year-old player has the most GOAT potential 15 years from now? Tatis has the shoulder. Vladdy has the bad body composition. <laughs> Soto keeps getting walked. Acuna injuries. Soto, 100%. And the thing about it, like when I look at players too, one of the things is the eye. And he has such a developed eye at a young age. I don't mind walks. They're fine. Obviously, it doesn't add up to your hits total or home runs total, but you're getting on base and you're providing value to a team. A walk is just as valuable as a hit. Fair. Yeah. Gets you on base. Birds on the bat. The three-point line was introduced following the NBA-ABA merger in the late 70s. 
the ABA debuted the three-point line before the NBA did until they merged. The NBA never had it. Okay, thank you for clarifying that, Birds. Very good. If you research footage clips of Wilt 100 game, you will see why. Oh, it's out there. I got to watch that. Love what you collect says he got game right is the name of the movie. And yeah, that is, I love that movie. I, I love that movie. And it made me want to watch Ray Allen and collect his cards. I only, I had one of his cards. I actually traded it away at the national to, to the, to, to Tim who run to Tim and Lorena who run the Wiz Dells show. I, I did that in a trade, but I do need to get a nice Ray Allen card for my collection. Definitely. Yes, Jesus Shuttlesworth. Oh, I'm got, I got to watch that movie again. It was so good. So good. Did you see that, Ryan? I have not. I've watched a lot of baseball movies. I haven't watched many basketball movies. Well, you got to watch He Got Game, and you, you definitely got to watch Hoosiers. If you haven't seen Hoosiers, you got to watch it at least once, maybe twice. It's an excellent movie. Hoosiers with Gene Hackman is unbelievable. What a great movie. I love that. I haven't seen it in 20 years probably, but what a great movie. Jesus Shuttlesworth. Jesus Shuttleworth is the is, is Ray Allen's character's name in He Got Game. Cool. All right. Okay. Listen, I think we're gonna wrap this up. I'm tired. I had a I had a big workout before this show on the earlier show, and uh, but this is fun. Always, always great to have you, Ryan. You had so much great color. Good. Yeah, man. It's always good to have you. We'll go through a few more of the final comments that are coming up, everybody. But um, we are gonna wrap this up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, if you're not subscribed yet to Sports Cards Live on YouTube, please subscribe. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit the thumbs down button. Whatever you want to do, hit a button. Hit a button. Whatever button doesn't even go. Go to go to breakout cards and hit the buttons there. Go to uh, go go to Sports Cards Analytics and hit the buttons there. Go to Moneyball Cards. Find a button there and just hit it. Just hit a button. It doesn't matter. Whatever button you guys want to hit. Go hit some buttons. Who else has YouTube channels that's in the room right now that I that I know for sure? I'm not seeing any more that I'm that no, I'm not aware of. Go get that. Flipping Steve. Oh yeah, I I haven't seen his name here for a bit, but go to Flipping Steve's and hit a button. All right. Appreciate everybody joining. As always, I will be back on YouTube tomorrow night at eight o'clock Eastern on the collectible. YouTube channel. If you don't know where that is, it's actually youtube.com slash collectible app. Here, I'll put it in the chat. It's it's called, the channel's called collectible, but if you want to find it, the best way to find it, here, I'm going to show you guys right now. It's, it's you can quickly go there and subscribe if you want, youtube.com slash collectible app. Of course, I spelled it wrong there we go collectible app wait let me just do this here we go there you go where'd it go there it is no that's there it is youtube.com slash collectible app guys the show i'm doing on there is called collectible live look and feel similar to this obviously we cover what's going on on the collectible platform we're doing five segments I prepared for it today. I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a great uh, guest joining tomorrow named Mike Kantz, MC underscore sports cards on Instagram. He's got over 30,000 followers. It's a big, yeah, it's a big amount of followers on Instagram. Uh, young guy, 
met with him the other day. Super cool. Great collection. Seems like a great collector. So, you know, we're going to be, uh, he's going to be adding some color. We're going to do an interview towards the end. So check it out. Please join. I'd be, be honored to have you guys check it out. Uh, check out the new show that I'm doing for sure. Rage says, this guy will hit button back. All right. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, Rage. Awesome, man. Tom Bullard, great entertaining, engaging show as always. Thank you, Tom. Thank you as always. Guys, I do appreciate all you guys that come on here and just make it fun. Um, that's what that that's what I'm here to do is have fun and uh hopefully provide some intelligent information, commentary, takes, opinions. Can't get it right all the time. I know I don't get it right all the time, but uh probably not even close. But uh, you know, try to uh provide some good information, entertainment, and keep it hobby related so thank you all for joining oh wait i want to bring this one up kyle brown says one of the things that is super impressive is how ryan uses data to make his card buying decisions what can someone that doesn't have that data analyst background do to learn and improve in that area Ooh, this is a good question so first thing i'd say <laughs> as cliche as it is because we were talking about movies is watch moneyball because it's literally a, talks about the whole data revolution with sports and at least in particular baseball. So I'd recommend first watching Moneyball. It get, changes your mindset a little bit on the movie, the movie or your podcast the movie, the movie. So yeah, we got the name from the movie for the podcast, but watch the movie first because it's going to change your mind a little bit on how like normal counting sets. Then I'd start exploring different websites like baseball reference and just start diving deep into it. Start looking at like all time lists with war and just start looking at how players develop over time. And you'll just start noticing trends and everything along lines with that. Also, there's another channel, Baseball Bits, uh, the YouTuber over there, makes really, really good data-based YouTube videos around baseball players. I mean, talk about different decades as well. He had a whole video where he's talking about Juan Soto is potentially the next Ted Williams, which crazy claim, right? Especially for how young Juan Soto is, but talks about his eye development. It talks about all his advanced stats and peripherals. And it's like a full 20-minute analysis comparing Juan Soto to Ted Williams. And also talks about Barry Bonds as well and his really crazy seasons in like 2003 and 04. So there's a lot of resources out there. Just start diving deep into it. There's also a ton of data analysis books out there as well, which you can start reading if you really want to. And they have you can learn a ton. I still have to go out there and read a few more books because there's so much new information getting published. Um, but I need to finish off a few things right before I dive deep into that. There you go. Check out Moneyball. Check out the Moneyball Cards podcast on YouTube. And uh, okay, guys, research, research, research says Rage for sure. Oh. Thank you, Rock Latex. Big Unit says special thanks to Pardcorn for not joining the chat. Yeah, second that for sure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Rage. All right, guys, that's it. We're going to end it right there. Hope to see you all tomorrow on Collectible Live. If not, we'll be back next. Actually, next Saturday is the uh, PWCC Premier Auction, which I will be covering with Adam as usual. Really enjoy those. And then we have Silver Jackify coming on the he's late a show. Collector. What's that? He's a great vintage collector. Yeah, he's he's got a great, great YouTube content as well. Okay, that's it. Ryan, hang tight. Everybody else, good night. Thanks for joining. Have a great rest of your weekend and week ahead. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.